Chapter thirty one of the Precipice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Precipice by Elia Wilkinson Peaty. Chapter thirty one. The Federation of Women's Clubs. Two thousand women gathered in the name of. of what? Why, of culture, of literature, of sisterhood, of benevolence, of music, art, town beautification the abolition of child labor, the abolition of sweatshops, the extension of peace and opportunity. And run how? By politics, sharp and keen, far-seeing and combative. The results? The cooperation of forceful women, the encouragement of timid ones, the development of certain forms of talent, and the destruction of some old-time virtues. The balance? on the side of good, incontestably. "'Yes, it's on the side of good,' said Honora, who was, after all, like a nun, save that her laboratory had been her cell and a man's fame her passion, and who therefore brought to this vast, highly energized, capable, various gathering a judgment unprejudiced, unworldly, and clear. As she saw these women of many types from all the states united in great causes united too in the cultivation of things not easy of definition she felt that in spite of drawbacks it must be good she listened to their papers heard their earnest propaganda a distinguished jewess from new york told of the work among the immigrants and the methods by which they were created into intelligent citizens a beautiful kentuckian spoke of the work among the white mountaineers a very venerable gentlewoman from Chicago, exquisitely frail, talked on behalf of children in factories. A crisp, curt, efficient woman from Oregon advocated the dissemination of books among the lumberjacks. They were ingenious in their pursuit of benevolence, and their annual reports were the impersonal records of personal labors. They had started libraries, made little parks, inaugurated playgrounds, instituted exchanges for the sale of women's wares, secured women's interns in hospitals, paid for truant officers, founded children's protective associations, installed branches of the associated charities, encouraged night schools, circulated art exhibits and traveling libraries. They placed pictures in the public schools, founded kindergartens. The list seemed inexhaustible. Oh, decidedly, Kate granted Honora, the thing seems to be good. Moreover, there was good being done of a less assertive but equally commendable nature. The lines of section grew vague when the social Georgian sat side by side with the genial woman from Michigan, Mrs. Johnson of Minnesota, and Mrs. Cabot of Massachusetts, Mrs. Hardin of Kentucky, and Mrs. Garcia of California found no essential differences in each other. Ladies the world over had a similarity of tastes. So as they lunched, dined, and drove together, they established relationships more intimate than their convenient hall could have fostered. If they had dissensions, they were counterbalanced by the exchange of amenities. If their points of view diverged in lesser matters, they converged in great ones and then the women of few opportunities 
the farmers' wives representing their earnest clubs, the village women wistful and rather shy, the emergent onlooking company of few excursions, few indulgences. What of the federation for them? At first, perhaps, they feared it, but cautiously, like unskilled swimmers, they took their experimental strokes. They found themselves secure, heard themselves applauded. They acquired boldness, and presently were exhilarated by the consciousness of their own power. If the great federation could be cruel, it could be kind, too. One thing it had stood for from the first, and by that thing it still abided, the undeviating, disinterested determination to help women develop themselves. So the faltering voice was listened to, and the report of the eager, kind-eyed woman from the little backwater of the world was heard with interest. The Federation knew the value of this woman who said what she meant, and did what she promised. They sent her home to her town to be an inspiration. She was a little torch carrying light. Day succeeded day. From early morning to late at night, the great convention read its papers, ate its luncheons, held its committee meetings, talked, aspired, lobbied, schemed, prayed, sang, rejoiced. Culture was splendidly on its way. Progress was the watchword. It was wonderful and amusing and superb. The feminine mind, much in action, shooting back and forth like a shuttle, was weaving a curious and admirable fabric. There might be some trouble in discerning the design, but it was there, and if it was not arrestingly original, at least it was interesting. In places it was even beautiful. Now and then it gave suggestions of the grotesque. It was shot through with the silver of talent, the gold of genius, and with all its defects it was splendid because the warp thereof was purpose and the wolf enthusiasm. Kate's day came. The great theater was packed. Not a vacant seat remained. For it was mid-afternoon, the sun was shining, and the day was the last one of the convention. The president presided with easy authority. It became her, that seat. Her keen eyes expressed themselves as being satisfied. Her handsome head was carried proudly. Her voice of medium pitch had an accent of gracious command. She presented to the eye a pleasing, nay, an artistic picture and the very gown she wore was a symbol of efficiency, signed to the initiate. Kate's heart was fluttering, her mouth dry. She greeted her chairwoman somewhat tremulously, and then faced her audience. For a moment she faltered, then a face came before her, Carl's face. She did not so much wish to succeed for him as in spite of him. He had said she would reach her greatest importance through her relationship to him. At that moment she thrilled to the belief that independently of him she was still important. The great assemblage had ears for her. The idea of an extension of motherhood, an organized scientific supervision of children, made an appeal such as nothing else could. For after all, persistently, almost irritatingly at times, this great federation, which was supposed to concern itself with many fine abstractions, 
swung back to that concrete and essentially womanly idea of the care of children women who had brought to it high messages of art and education had known what it was to be exasperated into speechlessness by what they were pleased to denominate the maternal obsession kate swung them back to it now by means of impersonal rather than personal arguments she did not idealize paternity she was bitterly well aware by this time that parents were no better than other folk and that only a small proportion of those to whom the blessing came were qualified or willing to bear its responsibilities she touched on eugenics its advantages and its limitations she referred to the inadequacy of present laws and protective measures then she went on to describe what her bureau of children might be the business of this bureau she said will be the removal of handicaps is the child blind deaf lame tubercular or possessed of any sorry inheritance the bureau of children will devise some method of easing its way some plan to save it from further degeneration is the child talented and in need of special training has it genius and should it for the glory of the commonwealth and the enrichment of life be given the right of way then the bureau of children will see to it that such provision is made it will not be the idea merely to aid the deficient and protect the vicious nor shall its highest aspiration be to serve the average child born of average parents it would delight to reward successful and devoted parents by giving special opportunity to their carefully trained and highly developed children as the bureau of agriculture labors to propagate the best species of trees fruit and flowers so we would labor to propagate the best examples of humanity the finest most sturdily reared best intelligenced boys and girls we would endeavor to prevent illness and loss of life among babies and children our circulars would be distributed in all languages among all our citizens we would employ specialists to direct the feeding clothing and general rearing of the children of all conditions we would advocate the protection of children until they reach the age of sixteen and would endeavor to assist in the supervision of these children until they were of legal age my idea would be to have all young people under twenty-one remain in a sense the wards of schools if they have had at an early age to leave school and take the burdens of breadwinning upon their young shoulders and their untried hearts then i would advise an extension of school authority the schools should be provided with assistant superintendents whose business it would be to help these young breadwinners find positions in keeping with their tastes and abilities thus aiding them in the most practical and beneficial way to hold their places in this struggling modern world it is an economic measure of the loftiest type it will provide against the waste of bodies and souls it is a device for the conservation and the scientific development of human beings it is part and parcel of the new practical religion a new prayer prayer says the old hymn is the soul's sincere desire many of us have lost our belief in the old forms of prayer we are beginning to realize that to a great extent the answer to prayer lies in our own hands 
Our answers come when we use the powers that have been bestowed upon us. More and more each year those who employ their intellects for constructive purpose are turning their energies toward the betterment of the world. They have a new conception of the world to come. It means to them our good brown Mother Earth, warm and fecund and laden with fruits for the consumption of her children, as it may be under happier conditions. They wish to increase the happiness of those children, to elevate them physically and mentally, and to give their spirits, too often imprisoned and degraded by hard circumstance, a chance to grow. When you let the sunlight into a stunted tree, with what exultant gratitude it lifts itself toward the sun, how its branches greet the wind and sing in them, how its little leaves come dancing out to make a shelter for man and the birds and the furred brothers of the forest. But this, wonderful and beautiful as it is, is but a small thing compared with the way in which a soul of a stunted child, stunted by evil or by sunless environment, leaps and grows and sings when the great spiritual elements of love and liberty are permitted to reach it. You have talked of the conservation of forests, and you speak of a great need and imperative cause. I talk of the conservation of children, which is a greater need and a holier right. Mammalia are numerous in the world. Real mothers are rare. Can we lift the mammalia up into the highest state of motherhood? I believe so. Can we grow superlative children as we grow superlative fruits and animals? Oh, a thousand times, yes. I beg for your support for this new idea. Let the spirit of inspiration enter into your reflections concerning it. Let that concentration of purpose which you have learned in your clubs and federations be your aid here. Most of you whom I see before me are no longer engaged actively in the tasks of motherhood. The children have gone out from your homes into homes of their own. You are left denuded and hungry for the old sweet vocation. Your hands are too idle. Your abilities lie unutilized. But here is a task at hand. I do not say that you are to use this extension to your motherhood for children alone, or merely in connection with this proposed bureau. I urge you indeed to employ it in all conceivable ways. Be the mothers of men and women, as well as of little children, the mothers of communities, the mothers of the state. And as a focus to these energies and disinterested activities, let us pray Washington to give us the Bureau of Children. She turned from her responsive audience to the chairwoman who handed her a yellow envelope. A telegram, Miss Barrington. Should I have given it to you before? I disliked interrupting. Kate tore it open. It was from the President of the United States. It ran, I have the honor to inform you that the Bureau of Children will become a feature of our government within a year. It is the desire of those most interested, myself included, that you should accept the superintendence of it. I hope this will reach you on the day of your address before the Federation of Women's Clubs. Accept my congratulations. It was signed by the chief executive. Kate passed the message to the chairwoman. May I read it? The gratified president questioned. Kate nodded. 
the gavel fell and the vibrant tremulous voice of the president was heard reading the significant message the women listened for a moment with something like incredulity for they were more used to delays and frustrations than cooperation then the house filled with the curious muffled sounds of gloved hands in applause presently a voice shrilled out in inarticulate acclaim kate could not catch its meaning but two thousand women robed like flowers swayed to their feet their handkerchiefs fluttered the lovely californian blossoms were snatched from their belts and their bosoms and flung upon the platform with enthusiastic uncertain aim End of chapter 31